Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. And it's so good to have you guys with us here today. If it's your first time, let me be about the fifth person this morning to tell you welcome and we're glad you're here. You know, we got these signs over the door and on your uh, program when you came in this morning that says welcome home. But we don't want you to just read welcome home when you come in this place. We want you to feel it. We want you to know what it feels like to walk in to a, to a, to a home. And so I, I, was, I was talking to somebody last weekend, and uh, they drive a good ways to get here. And, and I'm always humbled by that. I always ask them, isn't there, isn't there a better, can't you find something close to your house? And, uh, and we were talking about that. We were talking about some of the places they could visit. And they just said, you know, I visited here a few weeks back. And I tried all these other places, but when, when you've been to supper at your own kitchen table, it just doesn't feel right eating at everybody else's. Sometimes it just feels good to be home. And so, man, I, was, I'm just, I just hope that as you come into this place this morning, that you feel like you're coming home. You know, we're happy to have you. And we are just broken people who are walking a simple spiritual pathway at the Gathering Church. Very much, we just want to lead you and walk next to you as we learn to know God, find freedom, discover our purpose, and make a difference. And that's who we are. You know, last weekend was, was about the best weekend in the history of this church. I want to celebrate it a little bit with you for a minute because I, I got to tell you, it, it, was, it was exciting. If you weren't here, you just genuinely missed out on the best Sunday of the year, and I'm very sorry. You might as well give up. No need to come back next week. It's done. You might as well. <laughs> Robbie's shaking his head. Don't tell them that. Don't tell them that. They might listen. We, we were able to baptize seven people here last week. We got to, I got to baptize two of my closest friends, and Robbie got to baptize his son right over there this Sunday. I mean, last Sunday. I mean, come on, somebody. Some people very close to us. I mean, it, it was just an exciting day all around. And I got to shout out to the Dream Team that made it happen because you Dream Team men, you guys, I, listen, we had 130 kids up in this place last Sunday. That is just a lot of kids. And so to our, to our kids team and the folks serving back there, we appreciate you. Our parking lot greeters, everybody, everybody across, the, across the board, production team, all the creative team that that made it just a, such an exceptional worship service. Uh, I mean, we just appreciate you. And if you guys are early service folks, you may not even know, but, uh, but for everybody that was here during our 11 a.m. service, there was an actual monsoon out in the lobby during that service that nobody sitting in here even knew about because of how well our dream team addressed it. If you noticed, there was some new skylights in the hallway when you came in this morning. And that is because uh, there was a, a, a torrential downpour last weekend, if you recall. And somehow, all of that water found its way into the HVAC for the school. And then it just released at about 11.45 last Sunday morning, uh, sending several hundred gallons of water pouring down into that lobby. Uh, the Dream Team pushed all that water out, cleaned it up before you knew what happened. The maintenance guy for the school, he couldn't believe it was happening so quick. These guys were just, just taking care of business and then uh, came up with a great strategy to get everybody out of here safely. And so, man, I'm just so grateful for this Dream Team, uh, for, for everybody that serves and how well you do it. We're just, we just appreciate you. So thank you so much. All right, well, let's get into it. Today we're starting a brand new series called I Want to Believe But. I want to believe but. Here's the idea. 
Uh, about 20 years or so ago, the spiritual climate in Asheville was different. It has shifted. It has changed a little bit. Data tells us that uh, about two decades ago, most people in Asheville would say, I believe in God. In fact, most people in Asheville two decades ago were engaged in a church. And, the, and so they would agree with the statement, I, I believe in God. Most people w- would, would say this as, as, as the climate began to change. I believe in God, but you know, I believe in God, but I struggle with the Bible. I believe in God, but, but I have a hard time with the church sometimes, the organized church. I, I believe in God, but I don't know about his people sometimes. Come on, somebody. It's, it can be hard. I believe in God, but was the answer that most people would that has changed. Recent data tells us that now most of the people living in our city, more than three quarters, are not engaged in a church of any kind. And furthermore, most of the people living in our city, over half, would say they do not believe in God. And I have conversations with people a lot around this subject, and a lot of times what I hear is the phrase, I want to believe, but, I want to believe, but, these reasons that that were keeping them a little bit estranged before have gotten in between them and an understanding or even a belief in God. And so over the course of this series, I want to address some of those reasons. I want to I talk about a little bit. Here's what I want to argue. Most of the versions of God that people have a hard time believing in never existed in the first place. The God that we are looking for, the God we expect to find oftentimes, is not the God of the Bible. And so it's only natural that we struggle so much to believe in Him. Today, I'm going to specifically address a version of God I call the on-demand God. The on-demand God. I'm 31 years old, which means I grew up in the 1990s and am a part of the last generation to remember what life was like before everybody used the internet, okay? I'm, I'm a part of the last generation that remembers what it was like to have your phone ring and you just picked it up and said, hello? No idea what was coming next. I'm a part of the last generation that knew what it was like to actually dial a number on the phone and then wait for it to ring. I'm one of the last people that that remembers what it was like uh, to have a question pop up in your head, like, who was the president after Franklin Delano Roosevelt? And just have to wonder. You just wondered. You went and found a copy of the Encyclopedia Britannica, and you looked it up. That's what you did. You hoped that your father had bought all the copies or that he didn't stop the subscription at some point just before the R's, you know? You just wondered. I I remember the first thing I Googled, as a matter of fact. I was in college and Google was really starting to to pick up popularity. And we realized, hey, we could search anything on here. We don't have to wonder things anymore. And me and my college buddies were sitting in our dorm room and we were talking about waffles And we realized as college students, we had no idea what waffles were or what they were made of. I mean, we knew what they looked like and what they tasted like, but I just had no idea. I Googled, what are waffles made of? was was the first thing that I looked up. It turns out it's like the same thing as everything else that you bake. It's all the same stuff. It's just the amount of sugar. And so I'm a part of the last generation that remembers what it was like to wait till 7 p.m. on Tuesday night to watch your favorite show. Listen, there, there was no binge watch. In fact, binge watching was just coming on the scene back then. But what you would do was you would go buy the entire DVD collection of the series. 
and you would have to change out those discs when you hit when it hit in. Should we put in the next disc? You know we should. You put that in there. That's what I did with Prison Break. We, we, we had to wait every week for Lost to come back on. It would, it would stop and, and you would have a whole series of months. My Game of Thrones people know what this is like. You guys are watching it live still. You're one of the last generation. Shame on you for watching that show, by the way. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, what we do now... What we do now is we get on Netflix or Hulu or we go over to the on-demand section on our cable box and we watch it all at one time. We consume it on demand when we want, what we want, how we want. We like everything in this world right now on demand. That is the world we live in today. In fact, it's getting worse and worse all the time. It was a big deal when, when Amazon came out with prime shipping. Two days. You, you, you wanted a brand new rug? You don't need to go to the store. You get on Amazon Prime and in two days it'll be on your front door. But that wasn't enough for us, was it? Now we have one day Amazon Prime. I don't want to wait until Wednesday. I need it tomorrow. And now they're coming out with Amazon Instant. Because sometimes when you need a new pair of socks, you need it right now. More and more, our generation is getting used to having everything that they need right at their fingertips, handed to them the way that they want it and when they want it. And here's the thing. We want our God like this as well. We want an on-demand God. We want a God who does what we want Him to do, who is who we want Him to be, who shows up when we want Him to show up. And when it doesn't work out that way, we're just not sure if we can believe in Him anymore. I've heard this in conversation many, many times. I prayed for this, and it didn't happen. Maybe you prayed as a kid that your parents wouldn't split up, and then they did. Maybe you prayed for that promotion, and they gave it to somebody else. Maybe you prayed to get pregnant, and it seemed like everyone around you was getting pregnant. But you're still waiting. Maybe you've prayed to get healed. Or for somebody close to you to get healed. And it never happened. Or, or they had to go through difficult medical treatments first. Or they didn't make it. And you just keep thinking. I want to believe. But I don't know. I don't know if I can believe in a God like that. See it's hard to believe in an on-demand God who doesn't always do what we want Him to do. It's hard when we, when we have this image of God that He is out there answering prayer requests left and right and He doesn't answer ours. It's hard to keep believing in that God. What we have to do is begin to understand who God is and who He is not. See, I believe that it's hard to believe in the on-demand God because He never existed in the first place. I think we've got to understand where we fit in the whole narrative, in the bigger picture, in the grand story of God, creation, and eternity. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to make it really, really simple. The whole message revolves around this. God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. I'll say it again. God does not exist to do whatever we want whenever we want Him to do it. He does answer prayers, but His highest calling is not to do what we think He should do. 
God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. We're not the main character of the Bible. Anytime I, I, I read a, I love fiction novels. And anytime I read a good fiction novel, what I tend to do is imagine myself in the position of the main character of that story. And we do this when we read the Bible as well. But we've got to remember that the Bible is not our story. The Bible is not about us. We're not the main character. It doesn't revolve around us. God is the main character of the Bible. God's not a cosmic Coke machine where you pray your prayer, give your tithe, push the button, and out comes your answered prayer and the desires of your heart. No, God is the creator, and we are the created. God is the potter, and we are the clay. He is the Lord of all, and we are His servants. See, we've got to begin to understand that on-demand God does not exist. It is easier to cope with unanswered prayers when you begin to understand that on-demand God did not exist in the first place. We exist to serve Him. He does not exist to serve us. Now that we've established that, some of you say, but then who is this God and where does He fit in my life? What's His role? What is He doing? What's He doing for me? What I want to do this morning is, is kind of unpack who He is and, uh, and my goal, really, in this series, my secret goal, is that as we talk about who God is not, we would come to a greater understanding of who God is. That we'll spend a little bit of time talking about the things that God is not. And that may be a little bit disappointing at times, but what I believe is that as we talk about who He really is, as we build that up, as we get a clearer and clearer picture of the nature of and the character of and the love of God, that we will have a better understanding of who he was in the first place, and that we will have an easier heart move towards worship of him. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is talk about three different truths about God to help us understand who he is in the wake of realizing who he isn't. First, I need us to understand that God is always loving. God is always loving. It's hard to process the fact that God loves us even when He doesn't give us what we're asking for. But He does. There's a great story in Scripture in Exodus chapter 34 where Moses gets to see just a part of the glory of God. And it's the first time in all the Scripture that God declares what His name is. He says what His name is. And after He says what His name is, He describes Himself. And the very first things out of His mouth in His description of who He is is, He's a compassionate and gracious God. That's who He is. It, it can be kind of hard to understand, but maybe parents, you, maybe you get this a little bit. You see, if you've got kids, maybe you can relate. Because if you're a parent, I, I'm, I know two things that are true about you. At least two things that are true about you. Number one is that there is never a time that you don't love your children. I love my daughters 100% of the time, all the time. My love for them does not change. There actually, there might be times I love them more, but there's never times that I love them less. It is a never shifting uh, thing inside of me. But there are times when I don't like them. That's different though. God's not like that. That's me. There may be times that I want to trade them in and see if there's a newer model. There may be times uh, when I want to lock them outside my house, but, but I always love them always love them. It is always there, no matter what. Sometimes I have to tell my daughter when I have 
lost my self-control a little bit in dealing with the troubles of parenthood. That, hey, I need you to know that as mad as I was at you a few moments ago, I loved you just as much then as I did in moments of your best behavior, that I never stop and that I will always be here to give you a hug, to give you a kiss when it is all over. I need you to know how much I love you. I just, it's always there. I know this, that this is true about most of us parents as well. However, the second thing that I know about you is that uh, there are times when you do not do what your children want you to do, even though you have the power to do it. Here's what I mean. My daughter wants to watch television all day, every day. This is her greatest dream in life, is for that TV to never end for it to just keep rolling. What she wants to binge watch on demand all the time, as much Mickey Mouse as her eyeballs can handle. And I have the power to let that happen. In fact, it would make my wife's life easier if she would just let that happen. Amen? Wouldn't it be easier if she would just, if she would just, just there you go, Mickey is your new father, let's do this thing. <laughs> but what we know is that that's not the best thing for her. Maybe you've got older kids and their room is a mess and you told them to get it cleaned and to get it organized and they asked you to do it for them or they just don't listen. They don't, they don't step in. They don't, they don't even ask. They assume that you're going to do it for them. I, I mean, maybe you just are struggling with this this morning as you are getting out the door. You're thinking, if that room doesn't get cleaned soon, I'm moving. We're selling this house because it's too late. See, what I think is sometimes we, we make decisions to not do what our children want us to do, even though we have the power to do it because we know there is something better for them on the other side of it. We know that there is something better for them as the outcome of having to go through it. We always love them, but there are times when we not, do not do what they want us to do, even though we have the power to do it. And it's not because I don't have the power. It's not because I don't love them. I actually, it's actually because I do love them, and I love them so much that I'm not going to always do exactly what they want, and they don't understand that. They can't see it. My, my daughter cannot understand why we turn that television off after one show. She can't fathom it. In her mind, all it feels like is hurt and pain and like we don't care about her, but we're making that decision because of the way that we care about her. Because I can see things in her future and in her life that she does not have the ability or the sight to see. And so I'm making decisions on her behalf. Somehow, sometimes it can be hard to see how God not answering our prayers will actually work out better for us. But maybe in hindsight you can see it. He didn't give you that job that you prayed for because a better opportunity was coming. Or he didn't give you that job that you prayed for because it forced you to learn better stewardship where you are right now, which will pay you back in dividends when you get that job later on in life. Or maybe God used medicine and treatment to heal you or your loved ones instead of healing instantaneously and miraculously. But maybe God's going to use that story in ways you've never imagined. Maybe you just can't see how it was better at all. Maybe it's not. Maybe there was no lesson learned, no better ending because the prayer went unanswered. But God is still loving. The world that we live in is broken by sin in every way. And, no, no, and, and one day he will come and heal it once and for all. But until that day, we have Jesus. And Jesus is a constant and steady reminder that our God is still loving even when we can't see it. See, because of Jesus, 
God does not have to do anything to prove His love to us. He's done it once and for all on the cross. 1 John 4.10 and 11 says, This is how God showed His love to us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Listen to me, He's done it. He's done it. He's answered the biggest prayer you could ever have. He's, he's, he's healed your heart. And through the blood of Jesus, through the cross of Jesus, we have all of the example of God's love for us that we require in this life. There will be days when it's hard to see the cross. There will be days when it's hard to receive the love of Jesus, to believe that it's there. But God has answered the only prayer request required of Him. He has bridged the gap that we could cross it. It says in Romans Chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what, He is loving. He loves us. It's who He is. It's His character. It's His nature. He is always loving. When you can't feel it, He is loving. When you can't see it, he is loving. When you have a hard time believing it, He is loving. And I know that can be hard to understand. And the only answer that I have for that is that His ways are higher. Number two is God's ways are higher. God's ways are higher. They're higher. When I run into things that I don't know in my relationship with God, I always try to fall back on what I do know. I look for promises or passages in Scripture to lean in in seasons of misunderstanding because the reality is sometimes things happen or don't happen and people ask me why wouldn't God answer that prayer or why would God allow this to happen and my answer is just simply I just don't know I don't know people come into my office with some really hard questions sometimes and I and I, and I I'll be honest with you that I'll always be honest with you that I want to have good answers for a lot of the questions that, that I have that, that other people have but Sometimes I don't. And I'll just tell you, I don't know. I don't know why that happened to you. I don't know why you were treated that way. I don't know why that didn't work out. I don't know why God didn't show up in that season. I don't know why that it is this way. I don't know. And that's a hard answer to have to accept. The reality is sometimes nobody knows. There's always somebody that thinks they know. But sometimes nobody knows. Because that's who we serve. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. His vision is bigger. He can see the picture in ways that we cannot. He can see the whole when we can only see the peace. His ways are higher. If we could understand everything about God, He wouldn't be God. He'd be like us. He's not. He's bigger. He exists outside of time. He can see the whole picture at the same time. The world is broken. And there's moments that He's going to step in and heal a part of it. And then there's other moments that He allows good things to end. And we don't know why or how He chooses. Maybe we expect God to think like us or reason like us. 
Because we know that we're made in the image of God. Shouldn't we be like Him or He be like us in some way? Shouldn't we be thinking the same way, processing the same way? But, but that's not what that means. My reflection cannot think like me. My reflection cannot understand like me. It doesn't have the feelings I have. It simply reflects me. It looks like me. It's not me. And in the same way, we may look like God. We may have pieces of Him inside of us, the good that is in us. But we are not Him. He is higher. He is harder to understand because He is God and we are not. If it helps, this is the way that it was when Jesus was on earth as well. John 5, verses 1 through 9 says, Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of, Jewish, one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. See, what they believed was that at uh, certain times an angel would step out of heaven and stir up the water in these pools. And when that happened, the first person who was able to get in that water would be healed of whatever their struggle was. And so at these pools, there were always a lot of people in need of healing. Jesus is walking around this area, and it says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. So while I am trying to get in, somebody else always goes down ahead of me. And so Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. But did you notice that in verse 3 it says there was a multitude of people at the pools? That there was a lot of people lying there in need of healing, hoping for a miracle, all sick. And this one guy got one. This gentleman got the miracle that day. Everybody else was waiting for the water to get stirred. Why? Because there was a bigger picture happening that nobody else was able to see. His ways are higher than our ways. We've got to make a peace with it because God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. When I was growing up, I was very close with my granddad. Very close. Um, when I was in middle school, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I don't know if you've ever been touched by this illness. It is horrible. See, my granddad was the kind of guy that when he walked into a room, the whole room got smaller because he was so big. His personality was so big. He was so funny. He was always pulling pranks on people. One Christmas, he didn't go to Christmas Eve service, and everybody, the whole family was out at Christmas Eve service, and they would all come back and open presents at his sister's house. And while they were at church, he was grinching that house. He took all the presents, the decorations, and the tree, and he brought them to his house so that when everybody got home, they came home to an empty house and were crying and sad. He used to buy Barbies for my male cousins because he thought it was funny. That's who he was. He was so funny. And he always had a joke to tell. He was always picking on you. I mean, it, I, was, I was so fond of him. But when I was just a teenager, he began to fade. And what Parkinson's does is it, is it traps you inside yourself. And he would sit on the couch in silence and not make much eye contact. And you'd talk to him. And he'd throw out He'd work to throw out a joke and get you with one here and there, but we, we were praying hard. 
And I was in high school, and I didn't know what I believed. And, but I, I never prayed for anything at that point in my life. Like, I prayed for God to heal my granddad. I remember reading the Bible and seeing stories of healing and miracles and just believing that if I asked him to, that God could heal him and that I could walk into my grandmama and granddad's house and my granddad would be just the way I remembered him. I believed it. I asked for it. I asked for it a lot. But in 2007, just after I joined the Coast Guard, my granddad died, 74 years old, with Parkinson's. He never got healed. And that was a time in my life when I was already prepared to give up everything that I believed in. And I just remember wondering why. But I did visit him at the very end, actually, just, just before, before he left. And he wasn't really talking to anybody anymore. He, couldn't, he hadn't spoken in a couple weeks. And I got in the room, and he couldn't talk, but what he could do was sing praises. And in the last moments that I was with him, all we did was sing hymns together, sing praises to our God. You see, his ways are higher than our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. We may never understand it, but God is still good. He is still loving. He still cares. He is there. He was present in that room that day. My granddad knew it, and I knew it. And he didn't answer the prayers the way that we asked him to, but today my granddad is healed. His ways are higher than our ways. The third thing I would, I would say is that God's presence is enough. He's always loving. He is hard to understand, but his presence is enough. David of David and Goliath fame, the king of Israel, he was called a man after God's own heart. He was a conqueror. He was a warrior. He was a songwriter. He was something else, a real hero. But he, he kept a journal that we get to read today called the Psalms, where we can really see his heart and what he went through. And what we learn from David is that God didn't always show up for David when he wanted him to either. That there were many times David had to come face to face with the fact that his God was not an on-demand God. Over and over again, he would ask God to show up, and we know the stories and the times that God didn't. And we know the whys, because we can see the whole picture. But David wrote a psalm in Psalm 23. If you've been to a funeral, you probably heard it. It's one of the most popular psalms, because it highlights what many of us feel and what we need to be reminded of. I'll read it for you. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. See, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. And surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You've got you've to know that when you read this, that this is something that was written through tears. This was written in a season of pain. It was written in a hard moment for David. But David said, God, I'm in the darkest valley of my life right now. I'm in a hard season. I don't know if I'm going to get through the other side of it. But I'm okay as long as you are with me. Your presence is enough for me. God's presence is enough. With so many of the questions that get raised as we talk about an on-demand God, my only answer is just that I don't know. I don't know why. 
But I can tell you what I would do and what I have done in these situations. You spend time in the presence of God. When, when you're in a season where it just feels like he's not hearing you, you can't hear it, you're not listening, you're not, you're, you don't know if he's listening, the prayer requests aren't being met, you're not hearing the answers that you're, you're crying out for. I would encourage you that even though your instinct is to draw away from God, that the thing you need most is to spend time in the presence of God. You need worship. You need to come before him and worship. You need to, you need to there's a song that says, you are good, you are good. You just over and over again, he says, you are good, you are good. I'm just telling you, you got to find a worship song that just connects to your heart, that connects to who you are in the season that, that you're going through. They're out, there's just so much, so much out there that, that just lifts his name up. I would encourage you in seasons like this to find songs that take the focus off of you and put them on him. Put them on him. They just declare who he is, how great he is, what he's done for you. Worship. Draw his presence closer into your life. In my seasons of darkest troubles and turmoils, the thing that has made it possible for me, that has given me the strength to get through, is not my strength, not always the answers, prayers, but that He is present whenever we draw near. He's, his word says, when you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. You get in His presence, and His presence will come. Just, we need to worship. We need to worship. We were made to worship. Since you were created to worship, when you worship, everything inside of your creation comes alive. It wakes up things that were long dead inside of you. You just need to worship. Wake up in the morning. Put your favorite playlist on and spend time in His presence. And I believe you will find it to be enough. His presence is enough. Maybe you're absorbing all of this and I hope you're encouraged by it. I know it's a lot to swallow. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're wondering what the role of prayer is if God doesn't always answer. I need to tell you this morning that I believe nothing is more important in your life than prayer. That nothing, 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 nothing should precede your day over prayer. Nothing should take a greater priority on your time than prayer. That you, if you say, I don't have time for, for long seasons of prayer, you need to kill other things in your life, not that. Prayer. But... I believe that asking for things is a small portion of prayer. That prayer wasn't just designed to be a celestial grocery list. That we're not just telling God all the things we need. That prayer is about being in the presence of God. Prayer is about worship. Prayer is about communication, conversation, relationship. You need prayer, but you also need to accept that He's not going to always answer the prayers that we have. And I believe you should ask Him for every desire of your heart. Every desire. I don't think there's anything that you want that you shouldn't bring before Him in prayer. I don't believe that there's any desire you have that you shouldn't lay at His feet in prayer. He may not always answer it, but if you don't ask for it, He, he may not for sure. Ask for it. Ask for healing. Our God heals. Over and over again, I'm just telling you, I could tell you stories right now of people who have been miraculously healed because of prayer. He heals. Our God heals. Our God listens. He provides. He shows up. He does it. But not always. But we do need to ask. We just need to get before Him and in His presence. We need to not stop believing for miracles. Not stop asking for provision. But just remember that as you do that, that no matter what happens, He is always loving. His ways are higher. And His presence is enough. 
when I gave my life to Jesus, I was suffering from severe depression. Severe. Could not see a light at the end of the tunnel. Saw no meaning, no purpose in my life. Believed that the world would be better without me. Believed it. And somebody pointed me to Jesus in my darkest hour. In the moment when I would just say, I I found out what rock bottom was. We all talk about it. I found out what it was. And somebody pointed me to Jesus. And I remember the moment that I gave my life to Jesus. I just remember feeling like chains were breaking. That were wrapped around me. Like I remember feeling like all of a sudden I had been in a cage all my life. And all of a sudden the door was open. And I just remember, I remember feeling this unbelievable peace in knowing who I am and who my creator is. All of it. It was the best day of my entire life, no doubt about it. But I also remember the next day when I woke up and it was still hard to get out of bed. I remember the day after that when I still had these thoughts going through my mind, questioning my value, my self-worth. I remember the day after that when I wasn't sure if any of it was ever real in the first place. And see, Every single day in that season, I spent about two hours in prayer asking God to heal me of the way that my brain was, asking God to fix me. And I need you to hear me say that it didn't happen like that. I didn't wake up full of joy and fixed. My depression didn't float out of my mind and just disappear. I had to work. Finding freedom is a process. And I had to find freedom. I had to get in a church community. I had to get people in my life. I had to address the causes of this depression. I had, to, I had to talk to people. I had to listen to people. I had to ask God. I had to beg God. I had to rewire the way that my mind thought. I had to rewire my brain. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And it took a year. And on the other side of that year, I, I, I just, I don't know the day. I can't remember the moment. But I remember thinking about 12, 13, 14, 15 months later, oh, when I woke up today, I just felt joy. When I woke up today, I was excited to get out of my bed. When I woke up today, I thought there's a future for me. There's good things in front of me. And I need you to hear me say that today I'm healed of that. Boy, it it sneaks around sometimes, sure. But it's never going to be like it was again. And I need you to know that that second day and that third day and that fourth day and when it was the hardest that it was still different because before I met Jesus I was alone but after even though I was in the darkest valley I knew he was with me I could feel him there was something different there there was a hope that I didn't have before there was a promise of a future that I didn't know I I could have There was a reason to do the work. Do you hear me? His presence was enough for me, and I believe it will be enough for you. There's a passage in Scripture that that became my favorite during that season. It's been with a lot of other people in similar seasons. The prophet Jeremiah is, is mourning the loss of his people. And these are his words, Lamentations 3. I'll leave you with this today. He's broken my teeth with gravel and trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. And so I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. Have you felt that? Have you 
refuse to believe in an on-demand God because it feels like your teeth are being dragged through gravel? Have you refused to believe in an on-demand God because you believe your splendor is gone and it may not return? Have you refused to surrender your life to Him because you just, you can't see the happy ending? I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. But I need you to hear me say that He is always loving. Always. In your worst moments, He's there. He loves you. He cares for you. He proved it in Jesus. I need you to know that His ways are higher and we won't always understand it. We will never be able to comprehend it. One day we're going to be there and we're going to be in His throne at His feet, worshiping Him. And honestly, it probably won't even matter then. We may never know. But His presence is enough. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. We are not consumed, for His compassion never fails. Another version says, His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, because sometimes you got to pep talk yourself, don't you? Sometimes you got to remind yourself, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is my portion. I will wait for Him. It may be hard. The Lord is my portion. God, deliver me from this today. I will wait for Him. The Lord is my portion. God, I don't want to wake up and see this again this morning. I don't want to go to that hospital and have to look at them this way again today, God. I need freedom from it right now, Lord. I want this addiction to be done. I don't want to wake up tomorrow and still want these things that I know are killing me. I want to be free. The Lord is my portion, so I will wait for Him. I remind myself the Lord is my portion. I will wait for Him. I will wait for Him. I will wait for Him. He is always loving. His presence is enough. The on-demand God does not exist. We don't exist. He does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. Give Him your praise. Give Him your worship. Invite His presence into your life. It's enough. Heavenly Father, we come before You and worship You this morning, God. In the storms, we worship You this morning, God. In the hard moments, we worship you this morning, God. In the silence, we worship you this morning, God. In in the days when we just don't know if we're going to get through it, we worship you, Lord. We We just glorify your name, God. Everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we do, it's yours. We exist to serve you, God. We don't follow you because we believe there is something in it for us, God. We follow you because of what you've already done. We worship you. We give it to you. We trust you. Give us your presence, God. We need you. But we trust you. We will wait for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand up with me as we respond and worship this morning? There's a few different ways you can respond. You, you got these connect cards. That's the best way. There's a digital connect card. If you said no to that program this morning, you were worried, worried about what might be in there. You can go and log on. Just let us know how we can pray for you. We, we, we love to pray for you. 
We'd love to. Let us know how. Let us know how we can connect you. Let us know what we can get you involved. Maybe you need community. I need you to know that one of the things that helped me get freedom was community, was people. I needed somebody to take the mask off with. I needed somebody to hear me say the things that were screaming inside of me. You need community. It's how we find freedom. So maybe you need to lead a life group to get some. Maybe you need to just just get on the edge of your seat for those groups to get started. It's coming soon. Whatever you need, we want to connect with you. I want to give you a moment this morning. We're going to do it this week. We can do it every week. We're going to talk about God a lot. But if you're in here this morning and you've struggled to believe in this on-demand God, maybe you're hearing for the first time today that He never existed in the first place. Maybe it's time to surrender to Him, to give Him all you've got and trust that His presence will be enough. If that's you, I want to just give you the opportunity to respond today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Simple prayer is a first step. It's a first step. So it's just, it's just a commitment. Like when I stood on the altar with my wife and I committed my life to her, the, the, the marriage was everything that came after that. It, was, it still is. It's work, isn't it? But it's worth it. And that's our relationship with God. It starts in this moment, in this commitment, and then you move forward. Just pray this with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for, 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 not, for, for running from you, God. Thank you for Jesus, for making a way for me to enter into relationship with you. I believe in you, Lord. I believe in the resurrection, Lord. And I want to follow you. I need your presence. I want to pursue you. I give my life to you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.